Welcome back to the Get Unstuck and On Target podcast. I'm Mike O'Neill with Bench Builders, and we help growing companies, especially manufacturers, improve their people, process, and planning systems so they can scale smarter and faster. Joining me today from Portland, Oregon, is Gina Riley. Gina is an HR professional who sits at that that powerful convergence between career coaching, executive, you know what, I'm going to stop that. Okay. <laughs> um, I've, I've done, you're number 93 and I've only done that once, but I want that to be right. <laughs> How's that for perfectionism? Am I making you crazy today? I think I am. <laughs> you know, I, I have trouble. Powerful convergence was hard for me to say, so I'm going to say Powerful it right this convergence. time. Okay. I'm ready, to, I'm ready to hit it again if you are. My apologies. I'm all good. I'm breezy. Literally, I think I've only stopped midstream once before. So uh, look, look what a influence you've had on me. <laughs> I mean, I make those situational mistakes all the time. All good. All right. Welcome back to the Get Unstuck and On Target podcast. I'm Mike O'Neill with Bench Builders, and we help growing companies, especially manufacturers, improve their people, process, and planning systems so they can scale smarter and faster. Joining me today from Portland, Oregon, is Gina Riley. Gina is an HR professional who sits at the powerful convergence between career coaching, executive search, and interview skills training. Gina is an authority in career transition. She's the creator of the trademark Career Velocity System, a comprehensive solution that helps leaders and executives map out a transition strategy to last throughout their career. Welcome, Gina. Thanks for having me. I am really excited to have a conversation with you today. Gina, we had an opportunity before we scheduled this podcast to talk about what might Gina share and something that you mentioned almost in passing kind of caught my attention and that is the notion of storytelling and that is marketers are really promoting the value of storytelling and so what i know about storytelling is more from marketing your business Mm -hmm. and you're here to share that storytelling should be a key component if you really want to land your ideal job. So that's what I would like to talk about today. I'm ready to do that. Um, And what's so interesting about the topic is it overlays nicely with what you and your team do. If If a company is trying to build a strategy and a plan, it ties to their brand and their messaging. And the same is true for for professionals who are looking to make a career transition. I advocate for creating your own strategic plan and building in the building blocks that tie back to your brand, your messaging, um, but more importantly, tie to what it is that you want to accomplish out in the world based on the stories that you tell. And how do you attract people to you through the power of your storytelling? What is it that makes storytelling so powerful? Well, as humans, we lock into stories. That's that's what we we want to make sense of our world. If we kind of just look at social psychology, is we want to make sense of our world. And and so when people tell us stories, it anchors us to something that is easier to remember 
rather than a lot of just facts and figures. You know, when I think about looking at resumes, it does seem as if it's mostly facts and figures. Mm -hmm. I know that you have kind of a process. I introduce it as a career velocity system. Mm -hmm. Let's go there just for a moment. Sure. Tell us a little more. What is that system and how does it work? That's actually a good place to start. And I'll, I'll just kind of give you a very quick arc of, of the movement of, of what I what I do. First, we're doing personal assessment. We're really unpacking somebody's unique strengths, skills, motivators, and values. I have a specific way of doing that. There's other coaches that do it in different ways. But the importance of this um, for career transition is first starting with you, not the facts and figures that go on a resume. A resume is really a marketing document that's going to maybe crack open that first conversation because you've got some fact or figure that's impressive and like, I got to talk to that person, right? But once you land the phone call, the first phone call and subsequent phone calls, if you can't infuse who you are and how you do what you do through your storytelling, then you will have a more difficult time breaking through the noise compared to other candidates. So starting there, second thing that I advocate is making sure you understand how to describe your leadership approach. So it's the second thing I'm doing is, unpacking that leadership approach. I've got my process. And again, you know, different coaches have other processes of doing that. There's no right or wrong, just differences. Then it's really important that a person understands their career arc from point A to point B. We all know our story. If you were just going to have dinner with me and you were going to tell me your story, it might take you a while because it's just sort of a casual conversation. It can be 15 or 20 minutes. When you're in an interview situation, you've got to answer tell me about yourself in about three to five minutes. Mm. I've actually been in interview situations where we've even told an executive level client or not client, I'm sorry, an interviewer or interviewee, I can't get the words out, a candidate who said you have 20 even minutes or 10 minutes to tell your story and then they go much longer than that. Mm. You wanna be able to capture attention with your, your career arc, just the highlights so that you can pivot into the meat of the conversation, which is how can your toolkit, your skills and your experience help that company? So the power is really about who you are, your leadership approach, and being able to talk about your relevant career stories in ways that land with decision makers, whether that's in an interview situation or you're a part of an executive team that's now gonna go out and do what we call the dog and pony show, trying to get funding, for example, or you're in front of a board of directors and you're trying to influence decisions being made on behalf of the company. It's all about these stories and infusing believability in what we're the value that we'll bring when we go do what we say we're going to do. You know, as I'm listening to you describe the process that you use with your clients, and we're talking about the power of stories, you use the word infuse that caught my mm -hmm. attention. And that is how can we infuse you into a story in not only a compelling fashion, but mm -hmm. also something that's natural. Mm -hmm. Do you find that some people have some resistance to this notion? And if so, what works to kind of help them better understand why storytelling is important and why they need to embrace it? Mm. I would say that most people first are challenged by the idea of just interviewing in general and telling those stories. When we start with the who you are 
how you do what you do and your approach, it first anchors you with a certain level of confidence about your uniqueness mm -hmm. in the first place. So we're both familiar with StrengthsFinder. When you do the StrengthsFinder, which is part of the assessment that I do, you immediately are looking at five top strengths that make you one in 33 million people, according to Gallup. Starting from a place of like, hmm, the way that I approach my work is unique to me. And unlike most people I'm ever going to meet, you start infusing the how you do what you do through your storytelling without using the scientific words that come off the page from that Gallup report. We, nobody wants to hear, well, I'm an activator or I'm an achiever. That's not, that's not what it is. Instead, we're now bringing to life through our storytellings how we get results by saying, I activate teams and I collaborate across, you know, across functions in order to bring people together, lay down a framework and a strategy and a process, develop KPIs, and then, you know, uh, achieve great things and so on. So you can infuse some of those words in the way that you tell the story, for example. You know, we're recording this using Zoom, um, a tool that probably didn't even exist five years ago, probably even a shorter horizon than that. Mm -hmm. How has Zoom and its equivalents, how has it changed the interviewing process? Oof, that's a really good question. I'll say that I consult for an executive search firm on top of the coaching company that I have, I, it's Talents Group. And we've been using Zoom before the pandemic hit. And so, uh, you know, we would have leadership level candidates who would arrive on the video, very uncomfortable. Um, maybe they, we would be looking up their nose or, you know, from the forehead up and so on. And people have developed a, a, a greater sophistication now through that process. And it makes us more nimble and quick at doing that recruitment job. We can touch people across the whole country in ways that we, in the world in ways that we could not before. And it allows all of us to connect as humanly as we can through the power of video. And I, I just think it's an incredible tool. And I'm, I'm so delighted that everyone is caught up with what we were using in the first place. <laughs> I do remember very early in the pandemic, um, I had the good fortune of getting an account early on, but I remember talking to folks and saying, we're gonna be using Zoom and it's this, what? and so you had to coach them through that. Let me continue on along those lines because I know you work with all levels of leaders, but mm -hmm. let's talk about the, the executives, um, whereas this notion of executive presence keeps coming up. Mm -hmm. How do you advise your executive clients to have that sense of presence, even if it's on something like Zoom? What's required? That's such an important question. I'm really glad that you asked that. First, let's define um, the, the high level, what executive presence is. There's three universal dimensions. I use the work from uh, Sylvia Ann Hewlett. She wrote a book called Executive Presence and did a big, huge survey where all of the information that I'm drawing from comes from. Okay. It's your appearance, it's your communication, and it's your gravitas. So there's like 17 different elements within those three categories. Let's approach appearance. When we show up, and especially in a, in a situation where we're trying to influence people, whether that's as a candidate or maybe it's an investor, whatever your scenario is, you wanna look the part. And it doesn't mean today putting on a blue suit and a tie 
or, or, you know, a big wad of pearls or something or a scarf. It's just showing up in a way that signals that you're there to do business. Um, and a lot of people still have their yoga pants or slippers on. I get it. But I advocate for my, my own clients who are going into interview situations, dress like you would, you were going to show up on site minus the blue suit um, and put on your shoes, put on your business shoes. And I'll have my clients who head into interviews, they'll take pictures of their shoes and say, I'm wearing my shoes today, Gina. So appearance <laughs> is one, one very important aspect because it takes only 250 milliseconds for us to make a judgment, a snap judgment about each other. So I'm already making a, a judgment call when a person arrives on video. Once you get past that, it's the least important. Okay, I see you're here to do business. Let's look at the other two dimensions and its importance on video. Communication. You wanna be able to show up and articulate yourself well to the point, um, ready to tell those stories where you don't ramble and that you're succinct. And how that applies to gravitas also um, relates to EQ or, or or your ability, your emotional quotient, your ability to read the room. Well, we're not in the room together, right? So it's, it's and, and we may have a panel situation where there's multiple people in on an interview. Paying attention and looking people in the eye virtually, looking to see if people are paying attention, maybe drawing them into the conversation by saying, so Ben, do you have a question for me? Or, you know, something like that where you're, you know, Susie, you know, I'm wondering if we could go more deeply into that. Making sure that you have command of your situation and you're and you're seeing if people are connecting with you and that what you're saying is resonating. One of the mistakes that I see candidates make when they're telling their, their stories is they're not ready to do it succinctly. So they they talk way too long and then they lose the audience and then they're not sort of checking to see if the eyeballs have rolled back or there's blank stares. So I recommend in that situation to, to ask, is this, is this you know, the direction you wanted me to head with this, with this answer? Is there a different area that you need me to cover so you can really unpack my skills? That's having a real conversation and not just treating the conversation as a one-way you know, street. You're a candidate, it's a two-way street. You're evaluating them too. So make sure you're connecting with the people that are going to hire you and who are decision makers. You mentioned connecting with, and that's how we started this conversation. How <laughs> can you present yourself in a way that creates connections? And we're talking about storytelling. I kind of like to ask you to elaborate a little bit on what is storytelling? How does it work? And how do you get people so comfortable with it that it becomes almost second nature? Uh, in order for it to become second nature, your storytelling, particularly in interviews, but it works otherwise, I've used it in other ways, is using a framework. Mm -hmm. And there are many coaches out there that use different frameworks that are um, similar. So I use the SOAR methodology, and that stands for situation, obstacles, actions, and results. What this means when you build that in your storytelling in the construct is tell me what the situation was or the context overall, lay the groundwork so I understand where we're going. Then actions, what actions did you take within the story? And for leaders, I like to say, and then what did your team accomplish? Because if a person's gonna say, I, I, I the whole time, 
you don't come across as humble. If you say we all the time, you don't come across as a confident leader. You have to strike a balance and own what you led. At the same time, recognizing your team backed you up and got it across the finish line, right? So situation, actions, obstacles. What were the challenges? Why are you bothering to tell this story in the first place, right? And then results. What was the impact? Why are you telling this story and can you quantify it? So in an interview situation, it's really great if you can quantify that. You know, we grew our business from 40 to $50 million that year. Or some things aren't quantifiable with numbers, dollar signs, and percentage signs. There may be something else that's more challenging to represent, but it could be an increase in customer satisfaction scores, for example. Do you find in working with clients that role play is used? Do you use role play as a way to help instill these skills? For me, I actually don't use role playing. Instead, when I'm helping um, my clients prepare for interviews, what we're doing is we're literally taking hopefully ideal job descriptions that are well written. Most job descriptions aren't very well written, but what we're doing is we're taking each line item of what those outcomes are supposed to be if the person does their job well. And then we're creating behavioral or competency-based questions directly tied to it. It's very easy to flip it into a question. And it takes a few times of doing that for my clients to feel comfortable and confident doing it for themselves. But what I'm setting them up to do is to be able to do that for the rest of their career. They don't really need me to go and, and shape the questions for them. Then we design the SOAR method right underneath. They build the stories then they come back and they share the stories with me. And then that way I can help clip, cut, shape the narrative and let them know, whoo, you got too much detail there. You gotta trim this back, you lost me. I started to like think about other things. It's up to me to be honest and tell my clients this so that they realize, oh, this is danger zone. I don't wanna do this when I'm in front of a CEO applying for my CMO job, for example. So I'm that honest truth teller. <laughs> <laughs> who helps them shape it. But I feel like a mock interview is less effective because I'm already working with people for so many months. I'm already giving them other, other bits of feedback. Let me give you one example. I had an incredible technical engineering leader who had lost confidence in her search process because of a lot of things. Difficult to look during a pandemic, a reorg that caused hundred people to get laid off. She was in the 10% of leaders that got let go, for example. Mm -hmm. So she, when she would appear on video, had her hand in front of her mouth when she would talk and she was a bit shrunken back. So the first few sessions I'm getting to know her, by the time we start to hit our stride, I unpack the awesome sauce, you know, the, I'm doing the strengths and the skills and the uniqueness. She starts to blossom because she starts to see and feel the uniqueness, but then I had to call it out. I'm like, you've got to take your hand away from your mouth because you're showing me that you're not confident in what you're saying, you're hiding what you're saying. So things like that, instead of doing a mock interview, I'm just giving people guidance all along the way. See, I think that makes perfect sense. And that is you are tying expectations back to what they're gonna be prepared to do. Um, mm -hmm. Many people listen to podcasts, but we also, yeah. as you know, record this in video format, but I'm yeah. kind of watching you as you speak. And if you get a chance, my encouragement is don't just listen, go back to the YouTube channel and watch Gina. You can just see her kind of lighten up the screen. 
Um, <laughs> so I've, I've enjoyed just watching you talk about something you have such a passion for. <laughs> what else would Thank you like you. to share about storytelling that you think is important? Yeah. Well, you covered on a couple that are uh, really, really important and, and being like the executive presence, you know, how how we are showing up and all of these things helps us uniquely stand out. And I guess what I would have, you know, and thank you for that beautiful compliment. What we want to do is create a, a whole strategy for ourselves. We want to be known for something as an, you know, as an expert and as a thought leader in something or that we're creating a water cooler of conversation around ourselves so that we insert ourselves in a in the conversation in a different way without saying i'm the expert at all of this but i do know something i've got something to convey and communicate and contribute so when you when you consider all of that what we're trying to do when we're communicating on video or otherwise is just showing that enthusiasm and trying to connect with authenticity you know, on, on, on our subject matter expertise and to help people want to come back for more. You use that term authenticity. Mm -hmm. um, to some extent, the whole process of interviewing, mm -hmm. there's, it, there's almost artificiality in the process, is it not? I mean, we almost go to a certain role, not only the candidates, but those kind of interviewing. How do you infuse the usual word, authenticity. How do you help your clients um, come across in their authentic way? Mm -hmm. Another wonderful question. I just got off my previous phone call was with one of my clients, a CMO of a major brand who helped grow it from like 40 to 400 million over the course of his career. And when he first started working with me, the challenge was um, what I would, I would, one of my favorite quotes is it's hard to read the label when you're inside of the jar. Mm. And so I'm gonna go back to unpacking the awesome sauce. Once that individual was really tapped into what, what it was about the leadership skills that he'd accumulated and what makes him unique and infusing that you know, into the storytelling, that's where that confidence started to come out. And I just got off this call and for the first time as he's building his source stories and he just went into one naturally, we weren't even going to do source story stuff today. And it was, he was looking right into the lens, leaning forward with enthusiasm and excitement. And he got through that story less than five minutes and it, it blew my socks off because I was, I, I said, do you know what you just did? This is the first time you really showed up and just really got communicated and blew that out of the water. It just took time. He had to like get all the awesome sauce into his bones. He knows it's there, but he had to start using the language and practicing it with it. And we've been writing and journaling and doing all these things. He's doing informational conversations and using that storytelling time and again to build relationships. And it's just coming now. It comes naturally if you, if you want to work at it. Your word choices are so descriptive awesome sauce. And when I heard you say that, you know, you get your bones, it's almost like you have to kind of marinate for it to kind of to, to seep in. That's you know, right. I always imagine applesauce, but now I'm thinking barbecue sauce. Well, I am too. And I'm getting hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'd probably prefer. Barbecue sauce. <laughs> that makes two of us. <laughs> you know, you just gave a good example of, of a client where it kind of clicked. 
Can you think maybe of another example where either you or a client got stuck? And what did it take to get unstuck? Mm -hmm. Well, um, I actually think that this last client that I was just referring to, it it was like a matter of practice. Uh, Most of my clients, what I see, the people that appear at first are people who are proud of a career, a, a, a career that they've really grown and developed and cultivated but they feel stuck on explaining that in a way that helps them come across with humility Mm. and with clarity. And, and so I have so many stories. That was the question though, right? (laughs) Um, I think this last example is really one of them is I don't know how to tell my story and then going back to building up the, the micro pieces and practicing it to help, help you get there. Um, but most of my people do transition into that next opportunity. And that's really what it's all about is going from point A, building that the stories up, networking your fanny off, you know, you've got to build and, and nurture your network. And then, and then that is the outcome is that something happens because you're tapping into the hidden job marketplace. Gina, you didn't say this, but what kind of popped in my head, it seems as if in today's business climate, we're just looking to the next, whatever it might be, the Mm -hmm. next day, the next week, the next Mm -hmm. quarter, perhaps the next year. Mm -hmm. And what you're sharing is when you're working with clients who maybe have a career to reflect on, Mm -hmm. is how do you reflect on a 20 or 30 year career and, and come across in a way that is succinct, but it tells the story in a compelling fashion that you strike mm-hmm. the right balance of humility and uh, not humility, I guess, come right. across, not, not come across arrogant, if you will. Right. You know, as, as we've been talking about storytelling, I wanted to make sure that we cover that topic well, but at the same time, you have capability to speak on a wide variety of topics. As you mm-hmm. kind of reflect on what we've discussed thus far, what do you want to make sure that our listeners get in this conversation? Oh boy. Um, I think a great end cap, you know, as we move forward in our conversation is it's up to each of us to not be the world's best kept secret. Mm. We cannot expect to, to do our job, blow it out of the water and then for opportunities to just fall in our laps no matter what stage you are in your career. It's very harmful in the early part of your career. And then it's it, it becomes very damaging when you're 25 years in and you realize I'm itchy, I'm gonna get redeployed or laid off or something's happening that's causing a transition. And then we're completely stuck because we haven't created the pull strategy, right? So having a healthy network of, of individuals that we are collaborating with outside of our organizations a lot of the people that I end up coaching have come from major marquee organizations. And they're like, I've had this great career for 25 years across a global organization, but I don't know anybody outside of it. That's a huge problem. And what if you want to get a job within the same ecosystem, but another company, and you haven't developed the relationships and all of your peers who got laid off are also vying for those same limited jobs at the leadership level? It's really damaging to one's ego if we are now considered the world's best kept secret. Mm. 
Let's talk about ego a little bit, particularly when people are maybe forced into a transition. Mm -hmm. Do you find that that occupies a fair amount of time, particularly early on when you're working with a client, that, that the ego has taken a bit of a hit? Oh, my goodness. Yes. Mo most people, yes, but to varying degrees. So um, I worked with a, a person who was at the top of the organization who um, ran into a situation where there was a parting of ways based on a disagreement in, in strategy and direction. And that hadn't happened in the person's career before. And so there was this huge hit to the ego and then a long trend. It's very difficult to replace top leadership roles. Mm -hmm. So there was a couple of years of reflection and wondering, is anyone going to call me? And when we started working together, we were, we were building that foundation of someone who is very accomplished, who has managed and led more people and more money than I will ever see. And then, you know, trying to build up the stories and, and me being a mirror for the awesome sauce, as we were referring to, so that when we got to the point of building the high impact stories, that they could represent those stories with confidence and with humility. But there was almost too much humility at the beginning. We had to build the confidence back in. I can see how you would do that. Um, and because that was a protracted gap, um, self-doubt can really kind of take over, you know, in today's climate, I have read statistics, but it's something along the lines that X percentage of people are looking for a job at any given point. Mm -hmm. The numbers I see are kind of staggering. Mm -hmm. um, do you believe that most people kind of have at least one eye out for the next opportunity at all times? Hmm. If you're asking me personally, do I think most? Not necessarily. And part of that could be generational though. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm a Gen Xer. I don't, I don't necessarily think that, and I'm talking broadly, you know, Gen X and boomers aren't, we, we were raised with our, different mentalities and each, each generation has their own methods and processes and thought thoughts. Um, but you know, I entered the ecosystem of business thinking, oh, I might be at this company forever. And then, you know, Gen X is pretty well figured out by now that that isn't the case. But but I have a lot of counterparts in the Gen X ecosystem who are still at those companies 20, 25 years later, just coming to this realization. So how do you get unstuck? You know, you again, it goes back to you have to start building the healthy network. How do you build a healthy network? By genuinely being curious and asking questions of people that you are connected to and not job hunting, not mm -hmm. asking for a job, um, and building up a rep reputation for your own thought leadership in order to make that happen. Now, if we're gonna go all the way down to the, the younger generations, if you will, I'll just say loosely, um, maybe they do have their eyes one in, one out. It's harder for me to say, um, but I also think that that can trip them up too, because then they can appear to be job hoppers or maybe not get the deeper expertise. They may get content expertise across a range of things, but to have mentorship and, and some longevity with people or a company, there's value to that too. Yes. What else would you like to share about storytelling or anything along the lines of what we've been discussing? Sure. I would maybe offer to people, how do you start to unpack your stories? And there, there's a lot of different ways. 
And there's a lot of different categories that you could place your stories in. One could be the stories of challenges, and then others could be stories about the future, the future of my work, the future of um, your industry and your technical space or what have you. So starting to noodle out, you know, and think about, well, what do I really want to be known for? And then as a supplement to that, look in your ecosystem and turn to people who are either your peers, your mentors, your managers, people that maybe serve as some advisory role in your career, personal board of directors, ask them what they think you're most known for. Ask for three adjectives um, that you could be building on if you don't want to go through an assessment process or something. What do people already know, like, and trust you for? And start building up some stories and think about unique ways that you could put your own spin on that and put that out in your ecosystem. It doesn't mean you have to start becoming a thought leader that does a TED TEDx talk. What it could mean is you're just doing a very short form post once a week or every other week on LinkedIn. It might mean that you're going to launch a study and bring in some collaborators and write a white paper. It might be that you have a content expertise and you've never thought to offer yourself to speak at a conference or be a panelist. There's so many ways that we as leaders can put ourselves up in the front and, and generate conversation to attract and remember the pull strategy versus push when we get stuck in our career. You know, you mentioned that pull strategy before we hit the record button, you actually shared with me um, the pull strategy, whereas you're describing if you're skeet shooting, the way you instruct <laughs> someone that you're ready, you say pull. Mm -hmm. Is that the same concept? pool strategy? Oh my gosh. That is so beautiful. I'm going to have to do a LinkedIn post on that. No, it's not necessarily what I was talking about, but the imagery on that was like phenomenal. Um, sure. I think you are signaling to the world that you're game on when you create the water cooler, when you get your thought leadership out there in a ways that are authentic to you. So if people have been listening to this podcast and they're saying, gosh, there's so much that Gina has said that I'd like to kind of learn more about. What's the best way for people to reach out to you? Sure. Um, I'm, I'm at GinaRileyConsulting.com. Um, I actually have a, a free webinar on there that people can actually download and create a career transition plan without ever having to like pay for or look for a coach, you can actually start laying down that traction. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. And if people are listening to the podcast and wanna reach out, just let them know that you heard us together today on the podcast. Um, we all get a lot of sales pitches on LinkedIn. So it's great to just let people know why you're connecting and it makes it so much easier to say accept. And then I always start engaging immediately with people. So those are the two big places where I spend my time is like on my website and publishing articles there and the same on the LinkedIn ecosystem. Well, we obviously will include both your website and your LinkedIn profile yeah. in the show notes. As expected, Gina, this was a, a real pleasure. Your enthusiasm comes through loud and clear, your knowledge. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with, with us today. Oh, it was a great conversation. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Also want to thank our listeners for joining us today. We upload the latest episode every Thursday to all the major platforms, including Apple and Spotify. So if you've enjoyed this episode with Gina, please subscribe. 
Are you trying to grow your business and you want to make sure you've got the right people, process, and planning systems in place to grow smoothly? If yes, let's talk. Head over to unstuck.show and schedule a quick non-sales call. We'll talk about your growth plans and I'll offer you some actionable guidance that will help you get back to growing your business. So I want to thank you for joining us and I hope you have picked up on some tips from Gina that will help you get unstuck and on target. Until next time.